Well, praise God. You know, as I begin um, the, the message this morning, you know, we need to stay focused on what matters. And, um, you know, I kind of share this with the church the last two or three years with all the things that were happening with COVID and all the craziness with politics and all the different things. It's imperative for me as a pastor to keep us focused on what God wants us to stay focused on. And um, we, we can chase a lot of different things out there in the world, but we have to stay focused on the mission that God has for us. And um, that's, that's important for me to do for you um, as, a, as a pastor. So as we begin 2023, um, you know, we have to remain focused on what it is that God has called us to do. And um, so in my series last year, some of y'all might remember I did a series called The Day of Pentecost. And in The Day of Pentecost, we discovered that after the Holy Spirit was poured out, that really was the birth of the church. In the book of Acts, that really was the first church, the first New Testament church. So obviously when you go back to the book of Acts, that's, that's really for us as a New Testament church, how we learn what it is God, what was God's blueprint? What was his design or his plan for the church? And um, in Acts chapter 2, um, and this was, this was right after the, the, the uh, Holy Spirit was, was poured out, it says in verses 42 to 47, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So really, if you look at this, um, you really kind of see the blueprint, I believe, for God's church. And Ruby, if you want to put that next slide up there. And really, every one of those on the screen here is really in that passage that I just read. You saw discipleship. It said that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Obviously, they were fellowshipping. They were, they were going from house to house. Um, really, that's a life group model. The, the, the life groups that we, that we have, we, we are meeting in homes. We're meeting in other places. But, but that was that. They obviously had unity. Everything that they said they had was each other's. They met in the temple. They were worshiping. And then the last part I want to look at is it says, And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. So we also see an evangelistic component to this. There, there, was, there was a heart for souls. There was a, there was a, there was a desire for people, for people to get saved. And really, if you read the Bible, God's heart is saving lost people. That, that's what God's heart is all about. And if you read the Bible and you look at the New Testament, Jesus never took his eye off the ball. He knew that the cross was what it was that he came, that he came for. Jesus, Jesus was born to die. He, he was born to become a sacrifice that you and I and the whole world might be forgiven. And uh, nothing was going to stop him from that. There, there was nothing that was going to deter him from going to the cross and dying for us that we might be saved. And Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So, um, Everything that we do as a church, and I have to be mindful of this as a pastor, um, must be motivated by the, by the great commission, by the, by, the, by the great commission that God has given us, and that's in Matthew 28. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that was Jesus' last words, his last instructions he gave to the church before he ascended. And what was his message? To go. That, that's what, that's what we, we are instructed to do. So we do a lot of things in our church, but everything that we do must be motivated by that commission, by that call, that why, what, what is our purpose? What do we exist for? Well, we exist to go and reach the lost, to go after, to go after those that, that need Jesus. So I titled today's message, A Heart for the Harvest, A Heart for the Harvest. And, um, you know, I really, you know, God really kind of impressed this message, you know, today, especially in, in January, you know, as, as we're launching again this new year, to kind of really get our perspective, you know, of what it is we're doing and why we do what we do. You know, we really have to remind ourselves that because those different things that put the unity and the, the fellowship and the worship, all those different things are part of the church, but we can never lose sight that God has called us to evangelize, to go to the lost, to, to reach those and to, 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 to allow God to, to give God, to speak to them that God can do for them what he did for us. And so that, that always needs to be, um, be our heart. So, so this is the heartbeat of the Bible. God was making a way for which the sinner might be saved. And um, so we can never lose sight of the reason of what we do. So this church, I am very proud to say as your pastor, has a lost people mentality. We do. And um, we were talking about the bonfire Friday night. And I was very pleased to see we had, we had some people there that, that there were some lost people that, that, were, that were there at the bonfire. And that really just pleased me so much to see that, 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 that and it, was, it wasn't just adults, it was young people. They had some young people that, in, that, that invited, I know Uriah had invited someone, Alex and Noah um, had someone that came. And that's just so, just, it, it just so pleases me to see that our church has a mentality to go after somebody that doesn't have what we have and, 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 and want to see them with the same salvation that God has done for us. So, so that needs to be um, our, our heartbeat and our mentality that God has called us to go, go to the harvest. And um, so we're going to look at, um, at a passage in Luke chapter 14 in a, in a parable that reveals, um, that reveals for us the heart of the harvest. And um, so this is in Luke 14. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys to the, of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in 
so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And um, this parable in particular for me has always been one of the most fascinating parables. I'm, I'm very intrigued by the parables in general. And if you study the New Testament, you'll discover that Jesus, he taught, he taught in parables. The majority of the teachings that he gave us was in parables. And it's important for us to understand a parable is a real-life illustration, a, a physical illustration or a real-life illustration of something that you can, I, can identify with. But the parable that when Jesus taught with the parables, it wasn't the story itself that he was giving us. It was the spiritual meaning behind the parable that, that he was trying to communicate to us. So um, this is why I love the parables, because it's kind of like, like unlocking a secret code. And you get to get in there and you get to dive in and find out what it is that Jesus was trying to communicate to us. I love that. And what I love about the parables is every time I go and maybe read one that I've read a lot of times, I always discover something new that I hadn't discovered the first time I read it. And uh, so I would just encourage you. I mean, we need to fall in love with the word of God, but fall in love with the parables. And, uh, you know, and as I'm reading this, and I say this to the church, you know, the, the, the Bible says that the word of God is inspired by God. I mean, men, men wrote, wrote the Bible, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the words that they wrote. But when you are reading these parables and any word that Jesus spoke from his mouth, you, you, are, you are literally hearing directly from heaven. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's an unfiltered message. There's no... There's no man, there's no go-between. It's like God speaking directly to us. And uh, that's just, that's just a, that's a fascinating to me. And so when we read this, this is like God's heart, God, God speaking these words. And, and what I love about Jesus is he spoke the words that, yes, they were deep, but they weren't so deep we couldn't understand what it was that he, that he was communicating to us. So, um, but this parable, again, I just, uh, this is one of, one of the ones that has always been fascinating to me. So we're going to, we're going to break this down here in verses 16 and 17. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So the first thing we see here is God's invitation is this. It's to come. God, God's invitation is, is an invitation for us to come to him and um, Jesus said there was a certain man who was preparing the banquet. Well, who was the certain man that's preparing the banquet? It's the Lord. It's the Lord himself that, that, that's doing that. And um, so when you think of banquets, you know, each of us here, I think in this room, we've all attended a, a banquet at one time or another. Maybe it was a smaller banquet or maybe it was something that was of greater significance, like a state dinner or something like that. But when you think of banquets, Banquets require a lot of preparation. There's a, there's a lot of time involved, and especially, you know, the White House does these big state dinners. They invite these, uh, these people to come from all over the world, other presidents, prime ministers that will come. And you can imagine the preparation that takes place behind the scenes to prepare a banquet for a state dinner. And all of these, these people, these dignitaries, these people that are coming, that, that, that are coming for this, and just imagine the, the, the food and the, the tables and the settings and all those things that, that, that took place to prepare, to prepare that banquet. But imagine for a moment what a banquet would look like that God himself prepared for us. Not a man, not a woman, 
but God himself, how, how elaborate would that banquet be? How much time and preparation would be put into a banquet like that? If, if, if you can think of that, for just there would be, no expense would be spared. God owns everything, the Bible says. There would be no, no expense. No human words could describe the table, the, the place setting, the, the, um, the, um, the servants, and imagine the food. Just, just, it's God himself preparing this, preparing this banquet for us. But remember the story that Jesus is sharing with us. This is a parable. It's a real-life story with a spiritual meaning. And the banquet that Jesus is talking about here for us is not a physical banquet with food. It's a spiritual banquet of salvation. And God and, and, and Jesus, is telling, Jesus is telling this parable to tell us that the banquet table that God has prepared for us is the table of salvation that God has prepared for us, a table of grace and mercy and forgiveness and acceptance and love and, and all those things. It's the, it's the fullness of the gospel. It's the good news that God has given us that though our sins be as red as crimson, they shall be as white as wool. The Bible says this is the banquet table that God is telling us. And then I love what it says here. It says, come, it says, come for everything is now, is now ready. And um, I don't know if we really realize what that means. But when, when Jesus was sharing this parable and he says, come now, everything is ready. Jesus was saying everything that God had, had said in the Bible that was leading up to the cross and to salvation is finished. It, it's It's done. And what God was saying was the work is done, the cross is done, Christ has come, he's died for our sins, he's been resurrected, the table of salvation has been laid out, and guess what the invitation is? It's just to come. It's ready. And, and, and what it says, it says, come now. Come now, everything is ready. And uh, y'all heard me say this, you know, we're living in the year of the Lord's favor, huh? I've said this to this church before, and the, the year of the Lord's favor, that's not a calendar year. That's a year or a time frame in history, the Bible says. We are living in the time frame of the Lord's favor. What is his favor? It's his mercy and his grace that God is not holding his, our sins against us, but God is willing for us to come and invite us to come that we might be forgiven. So, so this is a great invitation. It's a, it's a greater invitation you, you could receive, even if, even if you were invited to go to the White House or, or to the governor's house or whatever like that. This is an invitation that supersedes them all. And, and, and the Bible says, come now for everything, for everything is ready. And you, you, you think about that from Genesis to Revelation, God was making a way for salvation. And now the Bible tells us it's all finished. And now the table has been laid out, and God, God has given us the invitation to come. But the, the invitation goes out, but we don't have to buy a ticket or, or do anything. The Bible says just come, come as you are, the Bible says. In Isaiah 55, 1, it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. See, Isaiah prophesied we don't have to do anything to, to get ready or to qualify to come to this banquet. The Bible says just come as you are. That's our invitation to lost people is just to come. Come, come to God's, God's wonderful table of salvation. Come to his table of love, his table of acceptance, his table of forgiveness. That's, that's the invitation that God has given us to give to the lost. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, 
Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. See, that, that, that's the beautiful message of salvation. Heaven is open. God, 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 heaven is not closed. Heaven is open to us. And that's the message of this church to lost people is to come to Christ. Come to God. What a beautiful message that we have to give to, give to them. In Revelation 4.1, this is the vision that John had. He says, after this I looked, and there before me was the door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had, I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what may, must take place after this. The vision that, that John saw was heaven's door was opened. Church, that's our invitation to lost people. That's God's heart, that God has prepared a way that we might be saved, that those of us who, in here are, who have experienced God's forgiveness that we too can go share that wonderful message with someone that has never received that. What a beautiful message God has given the church. Not a message to be ashamed of. The word that came forth from Brother Carl, don't hide your light under the fear of a, of a bushel, I think is what you said. There's no, there, should be, there should be delight. We should be delighted to share this message. There, there should be enthusiasm to share this message. That, that God is extending forgiveness and eternal life. And, and all we have to do, and all we have to do is come and receive and accept what it is that God, that God has done for us. So um, what, a, what a beautiful message that God, that, that come, now everything is ready. God, God has laid this all out for us. And then, then the parable goes on to say, but they all began to make excuses. They first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So the next thing we see here is not everyone will accept the invitation. Not everyone will accept the invitation. The, the Bible says, this lesson says, Jesus said many guests were invited. And the parable that Jesus was sharing here was really twofold. Jesus was really sharing this parable um, as an indictment to the Jews because the Jews, the Bible says, they, they rejected Jesus. The, as a whole, the Jewish nation is still rejecting Christ today. And Jesus said, I came unto my own, and my own received me not. So really the invitation that Christ was speaking of first and foremost was to the Jewish nation, that Christ came to deliver the Jews. The, the, the promised Messiah has now come. Christ the Savior has come and the Bible says the Jews rejected their Savior. They rejected, they rejected their Messiah, um, so and all that God had and all that God had done for them. But the rejection of the gospel is greater than the Jews. Um, it also represented the self-righteous and the good, healthy people that don't think they need Jesus, that they don't think they need any help. And you know, I'm always amazed. I remember when I, the place that I worked, I was um, speaking to the people I was working with and. They knew I was a Christian and my heart was in church and all those different things. And when I had told them that I was, you know, quitting to go and to, to full-time ministry, they were excited. And my, my boss that was right over me, I remember sitting with him and, and he was just kind of, we were just in his office and he was just kind of talking to me about how, how it was awesome that I could go and help all the people that needed help, like all the, the bad people. And I'm sitting before him and I'm thinking to myself, you, you need him too. <laughs> You know, and but it's just amazing when we when we think of 
and maybe we don't do that as a whole as Christians, but I think the world's mentality, especially who people will think I'm okay. You're not okay. You, you might think you're a good person. The Bible said there is no one good. No, not one. But it's just amazing how people automatically jump to the conclusion, well, yeah, that church stuff and that Jesus stuff, well, that's for the, you know, the murderer and the prostitute and the thief and all those different things. No, it's for all of us. We all need Jesus. We, 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 all, we all need him. And, um, but you look at this, and isn't it amazing? As soon as the invitation went out, the immediate response was they began to make excuses. They all made excuses. And when you look at this, now, again, Jesus was sharing this parable with the people of his time. So when he, he talked about a field, and especially when he talked about the, the, the yoke of oxen, that was, the, that was probably like a big deal. That would be like us getting a new boat or a new car. That would be the same equivalent as what they were talking about. And they, they were so excited about the yoke of oxen that they said, I'm going to go try out my oxen. I'm not, I'm not going to come um, to the banquet table. In other words, they, 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 made, they made an excuse. And, um, but if you think about it, what excuse can justify rejecting God's invitation to come to his banquet table of salvation? What, if you really just sit back for a moment and just think about that for just a moment, what excuse could I give God not to come to him? I, I can't, we, 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 think, we, we think of these, but really none of the excuses that were given here, even the one where he said, I just got married and I can't come. No, you could have came, you just didn't want to come. You could have came. You, marriage is not an excuse. If anything, that's a blessing. That's like, God, you, you blessed me with this beautiful wife, this, this husband. I'm, I'm going to go serve you now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to the blessings that you're giving. But they, they instead, they became excuses. And, you know, really any excuse is small and meaningless in comparison to everything that God has done for us. I came across this quote when I was studying for this passage. It says, little things and of small concern. It had better become them to have said, I am invited to eat bread in the kingdom of God and therefore must be excused from going to see the ground or the oxen. In other words, it should have been turned around. Instead of saying, I can't come to the banquet because I got to go try out my oxen, it should have been saying, I'm not going to go try out my oxen. I got to go to God's banquet. See, we, we got it all reversed sometimes. And that, that's the battle, really, of the church and the world because the world is trying to pull us to the things that they care about. And then the church, God is trying to grab our hearts to the things that he cares about. And that's the pull. And my wife and I, and, you know, I'm not bragging about this. This is just what we've always done. We took that verse at heart when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you. We, we put that into practice. And for, for, and for our family, God was first. And we always made everything, we always made everything in our life fit around God's plan. And we put it first. And I can tell you, we, we were blessed because of that. God, God's going to honor someone that honors him first. And so even though this is really talking about lost people making, making excuses, um, sometimes it can be us, even as Christians. We, we sometimes can make an excuse for not doing what it is that God has called us to do. And sometimes God just has to sit us down for a moment and say, well, wait a minute. Is that really valid in, in the light of what God is doing and what God has done for us? And, you know, my wife and I was talking about this last night. I was talking with her about 
about my message, and we, you know, we were just talking about, you know, really how the enemy comes and just really deceives us to get us to think. And think about that. They made, they made these excuses, and they, they were willing to sacrifice something so small as a, as a field and a, an oxen to, to, and, and not the salvation of God, to, to substitute that for God's salvation. Think about that. That what what they were what they were willing to uh, to sacrifice instead of that, and Jesus talks about that in the parable of the sower in Matthew thirteen twenty two, says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And and how true is that? We and even as Christians again, this can happen to us. We. We receive the word of God. We hear the word of God. But then the things of the world, the material things, the possessions, the cares of this life, what does it do? It chokes out God. And all of a sudden, everything that God meant to us, God's not as important as we thought he was when we first came to him. And all these other things have clouded God. And now God is still in the mix. But guess where he's at now? He's all the way at the bottom <laughs> instead of being at the top. So in a lot of ways, I think this is also a message to the church. And am I, am I making excuses? I have to ask myself, God, if you're asking me to do something, you know, maybe it's to go witness or whatever it is that God is calling you to do and challenging you to do, is the, is the, first, is the first thing an excuse? Or is it, you know what, I'm going to do that. I, here, here I am. What, did I, what, he, what Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. There's no excuse. I'm, I'm, I'm available. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to do that. Um, the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very soul? That's, that's what these people were doing. They, they were willing to let the things of the world prevent them from receiving salvation for the eternal life of their, of their very soul. So um, we cannot get discouraged when the gospel is rejected, that people are going to reject us. I, I've been rejected many times when, I, when I've shared, when I've shared uh, the gospel. And, um, and I remember when it first happened, you know, when you first start witnessing and people begin to reject you, the first thing you start thinking is what? I did something, I did something wrong. I said it wrong. I didn't act right. And God stopped me and says, no, you didn't do anything wrong. Your, your obligation and responsibility is to deliver the message. My obligation is to convict them. And, and, and show them what the truth is. I can't convict anybody. I can't save anybody. We're not called to save people. We're called to deliver the message, the good news that Jesus Christ has died for them and he, and he loves them. So we can't get discouraged when the gospel is rejected. Amen. Then in verse 21 and 22, it says, The servant came back and reported to his master, um, then the owner of the house, be, and report, then the servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. So the next thing we see here is the rejection of the invitation does not remove the urgency of it. Nope, see what happened here. God just didn't say, okay, nobody has, no one's accepting this salvation. I guess my plan is not going to work. I'm just going to stop this plan and we're going to do something different. No, God's plan still moved forward. God's heart was still to save souls. Even though the invitation was rejected, the urgency of it was still there. 
And we have, we have to understand that, that if someone rejects the salvation of God, it doesn't remove the urgency of our message. We still have an obligation to speak the truth of what the Word of God says. It, it, it is still an urgent message. And the, 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 the parable here says the master was angry. And think about that. God gave his very best for us. God just didn't give us seconds. He gave us his one and only son, the Bible says. So obviously God is grieved. God, God would be angered in a way, in a, in a righteous anger, anger way, that someone would reject his son, Jesus Christ, that, that God would allow his son to come and to suffer and to die in such a way that we might be forgiven and, and we're un, we don't deserve what God has done for us. It's by his grace, the Bible says, yet we would reject that. Of course God would be grieved and God would be angry, but, but, God, but God didn't stop the urgency of the message. The, the message is still urgent and God was not deterred. This, this is what this is telling us here. And it says um, his invitation must be accepted. And he tells the servant, now he says to go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and to the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, go with urgency to anyone who will hear the message. Yes, those who think that they're okay, they might reject the message. But there's going to be someone out there that's going to receive Jesus Christ. There's someone out there waiting for us to come to them with the message of salvation. You and I accepted it. You know, we might, the devil might got us thinking, well, nobody wants Jesus. We accepted Jesus. If we accepted him, then someone else out there wants Christ, wants Jesus Christ as well. Amen. Amen. So um, Mark 2.17, Jesus said on hearing this, he said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners. That's who Jesus came for. Jesus came for the sinner. See, the, the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they couldn't understand why Jesus was associating with and, and, and hanging around sinners. That's why he came. He came for the sinner. And, and, and that's, what you, that's what God has called this church to go to. Go to the people who feel the crippled, the lame, those who feel unworthy, they don't feel like they, they are worth anything. That's the ones that God wants. That's, that's God's heart. And, um, you know, I think that, that, that a lot of religious people are going to be surprised at some of the guests that are sitting at God's table. We're going to be surprised, very surprised. And, and so I love this, the, the urgency of there. And, you know, Christ came for the lowly, for the oppressed, for the rejected, for the abused, the lonely, and the hurting. That, that is who God came for. So you look at the, at the urgency of this parable, and this is the thing that really stuck out to me when I first read this parable and began to study this parable, is God's urgency. And he said, yes, he was angry that they rejected the invitation, but he told the servant, but, but still go. Now go everywhere, he said. Go to the alleys and the streets and the back corners. And I, I believe that's a message to God's church that, that we might go somewhere and maybe people reject us, but God's saying, now go somewhere else. Go speak it to someone else. Don't stop. Don't get discouraged. That's, that's the devil. That's the enemy trying to, trying to discourage us and say, well, see, nobody's listening. No, somebody out there is going to listen. Some, someone will receive, will receive the truth. And I came across this quote, if Ruby wants to put that up. It says, the provision made for precious souls in the gospel of Christ shall appear not to have been made in vain. For if some reject it, your others will thankfully accept the offer of it. I'm one of those. 
I'll gladly accept God's offer and his invitation. I'm more than glad to tell God, you know what, God, I need you. I, I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I get it that I'm a sinner. I, I don't need anybody to sit down and counsel me and speak to me and teach me that I'm a sinner. I get that. And I'm more than willing to be one of the ones that says, you know what, I accept this wonderful, this wonderful salvation, God. I, I, I receive the forgiveness, the, the, the forgiveness of God. So the rejection of our message must never remove the urgency of the message. In other words, we can't just sit, you know, shrink back and say, well, nobody cares and maybe it's not important anymore and it's not urgent. No, it's still urgent. It's still urgent. It still matters. And, and, and that, that's what I believe Jesus is communicating in this, in this parable. And then listen to this quote I came across studying for this. And I love this. Look what it says. It says, God will have a church in the world, though there are those that are unchurched. For the unbelief of man shall not make the promise of God of no effect. God will have a church. Jesus Christ did not die for nothing. God, God, and God will have a church. And I think that's, a, that's really a message that I think really should motivate us to go and share the gospel. That the, the Bible says the kingdom of God is advancing. It is advancing. That you're not going to stop God's kingdom. In other words, we can't think, well, I don't see anything happening, you know, in my, in my Ocas or my, my world or whatever. No, God will have a church. And God's church will prosper and God's church will grow. I want to be part of that. God gives us the, as a church an invitation to participate in this wonderful, in this wonderful message of salvation to, to, to deliver the gospel. What a privilege. What a privilege that God, that God has given us the, 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 the message of salvation and us to speak that message. And then in Luke 14, uh, 22 and 23, Jesus said, Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. So the next thing we see here is God, God is still mailing invitations. God is still mailing invitations. See, now that the servant went and the, 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 the invitation was rejected, and now he went to the lame and to the crippled, it's obvious that some of those did receive the invitation but the servant came back and said, but sir, but sir, there's still, the table is still not full yet. They still got, they still got some empty chairs. There, there's some empty seats here. And what did, what did the master tell him? Go back. But this time he, he elevated the level of urgency. And what did he say here? He said, go out to the roads and country lanes. That's kind of like, to me, that's like the rural areas. So in a spiritual sense, that's like the places maybe you wouldn't think of going. God said, go there. Go speak to them. Then what does he say? Compel them to come. That's urgent. It's, it's like, it's like, it's almost like begging them. It's like, you must come. It, it's just like the Bible says that, that this salvation is found that there's no other name given by which we must be saved. And see, that, that to me is the message of this parable is the urgency of salvation. That, that God's heart was the harvest. That that's why Jesus died. That you and I might be forgiven, but it wasn't just for us in this room this morning. It's that this that we would go. That God has called us to multiply what He has done here, to take what He has done for us and share that and share that with someone else. And and then look, I love what it says there, so that my house will be full. 
God wants a full house. Do you, do, let me say, God wants a full house. And, you know, I hear a lot of people a lot of times, they'll say, well, you know, these mega churches and all that kind of thing. I don't knock a mega church. If they're, if they're preaching the gospel, if they're preaching Jesus Christ and his salvation, I'm not knocking that church. I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. They say, well, I want, I want this, this house to be full. Why? Because that's what God wants. That, that's God's heart. So we can't ever say, well, how big, how big should we get? How many lost people are out there? That's how big we should get. That's how much God wants this house. So, so until, until there's nobody that's not saved, which I don't think we're ever going to see that, God's house is never full enough. That needs to be our heart. And see the progression of the parable. It's like, yeah, the invitation was given. It was rejected, but then, then God said, now go. And then he came back and God said, now go again. He wants his table full. That salvation wasn't, wasn't poured out for nothing. Jesus didn't spill his blood for just a few. God wants us to go. And that, that need, we need to get the heart of God. And, and yes, we, do, we, we don't do a lot of things. We do, we do enough, I think. I, I really do. For a church our size, I'm very pleased with what we did last year and the things that we have coming up this year. I, I think it's, it, it's, it's enough to keep us extremely busy. And, um, but every single thing we do must be motivated by the heart of God. It's reaching the lost. It, 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 is, is, it, is, it, is it making a way for us to speak salvation to someone who needs Jesus Christ? Because God wants his house full, and that needs to be our heart. And there'll be people that will come. They're not going to talk like us. They won't look like us. They're not going to act like us. That's a good thing, probably. Somebody comes in and don't act like me and talk to me. That's good. That's what we want. We, we, we want that. Why? Because that's God's heart. That, that's what God wants. So, so God's got to give us, God's got to plant that desire inside of us. And, and, and it can only be done by his Holy Spirit. The flesh doesn't want anything to do with this. The flesh is going to try to prevent this from happening. But the spirit man inside of us is crying out, yes, that's what God wants. You can do this. Go do this. And that's what, God, that's what God's heart is. So that, that's the really, um, this parable is the heart of God. And his, God's heartbeat must become ours. We must, and, we, and if it's not there, we have to say, God, make it happen, Lord. Plant that inside of me, Father. Let, let me be hungry, God. Give me a hunger, Father. So that takes place, so that, so that happens. And God will give that to us because we're not asking him for something he doesn't want to give us. If we start asking for the harvest, that's what God wants. That's what God wants. Amen.